I'm going to be reading from Matthew 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of, of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locust and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all of Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. These words are true, and they can be trusted. Let's pray. God, thank you for the honor of being here this morning. God, as we end our week or begin our week, whichever way that we see it or feel it right now, some people walk in these doors just feeling the exhaustion of a long week. Some people are thinking about what's to come. But God, one day in your house is better than a thousand elsewhere. Thank you for the honor of getting to be here together with you, the God of the universe who stands before us. Help us not to miss that. God, as I speak this morning, not my words, yours. Take my broken speech my bad metaphors, my cheesy jokes, God, and bring it all to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. Good morning. If you don't know who I am, my name is Ty Hill. I am one of the next-gen pastors. Thank you, Josh. I'm one of the next-gen pastors I say one of because if you don't know, I know you probably heard me make this spiel a couple times. Uh, there's two of us next-gen pastors here at Trinity. Uh, we're both named Ty, um, so that can get all, a little confusing, also very convenient. 
Um, one of the ways you can tell us apart is the kids, uh, the teenagers, many of them like to lovingly uh, refer to me as Ty the Lesser. Uh, and at first that stings and it hurts, but don't worry, they comfort me and they say, don't worry, Ty, we don't call you Ty the Lesser because you're less important. It's just because the other Ty is bigger and stronger than you. And I'm like, oh, wow, okay, thank you. I feel so much better. Uh, so yeah, that's one way to refer to me. Uh, I am the next-gen pastor. Uh, The way we kind of divvy that up is I'm the next-gen pastor over this campus, but more specifically over uh, Trinity Kids across both campuses. Uh, And Ty Combs uh, oversees uh, student ministry across both campuses. So it might sound a little bit confusing, but uh, it works. We're a great team. Uh, I absolutely love getting to work with Ty. Now, when it comes to Trinity Kids, some of you might not know who I am, even though you may have been here for a while because you don't see me much. That's because it is the middle of summer, uh, which means we are in a volunteer shortage because everyone and their grandma is on vacation. Uh, So I'm very thankful this morning, Matthew Hines, who used to hold the role before me and is now executive pastor, is running Trinity Kids for me uh, this morning. So say a prayer for him. He's stepping back into his previous role. Uh, So, like I said, we're in a volunteer shortage, so I'm going to take this moment. They've given me the platform. I get to do a shameless plug, and I'd like to say I'm sorry about it, but I'm not. Uh, If you're interested in serving in Trinity Kids, we would love, love, love to have you. It is one of the most rewarding ministries you could possibly have. It's one of the uh, ministries that Jesus most uh, harshly references in the Bible, where he says, if you were to lead one of these little children away from me, you're going to have a heavy millstone. It would be better for you, sorry, not you're going to, that's a lot different. Uh, It would be better for you to have a giant millstone strapped to your back and thrown into a lake. Uh, So you could come to be a Trinity Kids and risk that. That would be great, wouldn't it? No, it is so much fun. This morning, the kids are making locusts out of uh, clothespins and Matthew's probably going to be down there trying to make sure nobody eats them like John the Baptist. So uh, I have been a next-gen pastor here since October, but I've been going to church here for a few years. Uh, We have kids camp coming up next week. It starts next Sunday. Super excited about that. If your kids um, are interested, please be sure to sign up. Um, If you're interested in signing up for Trinity Kids, you can use a Next Steps card and write that out, and I will contact you literally tomorrow, as quickly as I possibly can. (laughs) I would love to have you. Um, I grew up in eastern Ohio in a small town called Martins Ferry. You've never heard of it before, and that's okay. Um, It's if you got on Interstate 70 right here in Indianapolis and then just drove east until you ran out of Ohio uh, when you hit the Ohio River. That's essentially exactly where I am. I grew up right near uh, West Virginia and Pennsylvania, right along that border. And so anytime we had something that we wanted to do for fun that didn't involve like just being out in the woods or Uh, causing chaos in my small town. If we wanted to do anything uh, significant, like a sporting event or a concert, we were either going to Columbus or we were going to Pittsburgh, which Pittsburgh was about 40 minutes away, so that was closer. Grew up going to Pirates game my whole life, mostly because they stunk, and so tickets were ridiculously cheap, so we could go often. Uh, That's the best way uh, to start your fandom of a team. And uh, there's one time in particular that I went to Pittsburgh with my cousin Cameron, and his girlfriend and another friend, and uh, we went to go see a band called Yellow Card, which is one of my favorite bands because I was super pop punk in high school. And uh, when we went, it was an awesome concert. Little random fact, that was the night 
that we got Osama bin Laden and it got announced on stage from one of my favorite bands. That was the weirdest event. That means nothing, but if you ever like have a, a trivia uh, questionnaire here, Trinity, about your leadership and that comes up, now you know. Uh, but the point is, it was late night, middle of downtown Pittsburgh. We are ridiculously cheap. So we parked uh, a good bit away from the venue to get free parking because there was no world that we were paying $20 for parking. We were in college, so we were broke. I was like 19, 20. And so it was me and my cousin, and we had two girls with us, and we were walking in downtown Pittsburgh in the middle of the night, and everything was fine. Everything was kosher. Um, and then as we were walking, because we're so far from the venue, it's like 2 in the morning. There's not many people out. We see a guy walking towards us. Um, and as we get closer, um, we can see this man. It's, it's kind of cold out. It's not freezing, but he's wearing a big jacket. And as he gets closer, we notice there is this giant bulge in his jacket on his side. It looks like he has literally like lifted up his shirt and put a basketball in there. And I'm like, oh man, that's kind of weird, but you don't want to be judgmental. So you're just like eyes forward and keep walking. And as we're walking, I look up at him and he is locking eyes with me and he is beelining towards us. And we're having this like, okay, 2 a.m. Pittsburgh. This is about to get interesting. So we're trying to stay calm and collected, but me and my cousin kind of do that thing where you casually, non-judgmentally step like in between the girls and this man as you get closer. Like you don't want him to think if he's not doing anything that we're worried about him, but also like, hey, we've got our eyes on you. And I think maybe he's not coming, but he keeps coming, he keeps coming, and then he starts to flag us down, and we're like, oh, hello, have a good night. But nope, he catches up to us, and he is very intentional on talking to us. Now, this guy is dirty, uh, he is clearly homeless, and I don't say that in a shameful way, but I mean he... he uh, did not uh, have any level of cleanliness about him. His clothes had definitely been worn for days on end. This bulge was very apparent, and it had you wondering, like, what does he have under there? Do I need to be concerned about this? And he talks, he's very loud. His speech is hard to understand, quite frankly. And as he starts talking to us, it becomes very clear he wants to talk to us about his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So there's also, a, there's first a level of like, okay, good. Like, <laughs> he just wants to preach at us. And then on the other hand, it's like, oh, Lord, not now. Like, I've seen these guys in these cities. This is about to be really uncomfortable. So as he starts trying to tell me about Jesus, I say, hey, buddy, thank you so much. This is great. But I'm, I was, at that time, I was a part-time youth pastor in Kentucky while I was in college. And I said, I'm in ministry. I love the Lord. We're good. And, and we had a short conversation. It was awkward. It was uncomfortable. And then as he started to talk, he shared a little bit of a story in which he lifted up his shirt and revealed that bulge was a ginormous tumor that was protruding from his side. And he said in his uh, very overwhelming speech and boisterous attitude that he wasn't going to make it very long, and he was spending his time telling people about Jesus, apparently at 2 a.m. in the middle of Pittsburgh. Uh, but that was an interesting kind of perspective, and, and it was still awkward. And I'm not going to say that I left that like, wow, I'm really glad I got to have that conversation with the guy. Um, I'm kind of embarrassed to admit as a 19-year-old that I didn't stop and pray for that man. I was more thinking about these two girls that were with us that I was like, do they feel uncomfortable? Do they feel safe? I've got to get out of here. And I think about that guy quite often where he's at if he's still here. And ultimately, hopefully I get to meet him again in heaven someday. But We've all been in the position, whether you're in Chicago, maybe in Indy, I don't think I've seen it as much in Indy, in Pittsburgh, whatever big city you've been to, you have probably had an experience with a soapbox preacher, yeah? The guy pulls out the big old box, maybe it's a milk carton, or maybe it is just a loud uh, a megaphone, and as soon as you've seen that megaphone, what do you think? 
Oh, man. Maybe he breaks out this big leather KJV Bible, and if you tell me right now, when you see somebody on the street corner in Chicago, get on a box with a megaphone and a Bible, and you think, yes, I'm so excited to hear the word of the Lord right now. This is going to be awesome. You'd probably be lying to me if you said that. We all probably would respond with some level of a collective sigh of just like, oh man, this isn't the move. This is going to be uncomfortable. This is going to be awkward. There's so many people on this street. It's going to be crazy. And then he starts preaching and he says, you need to repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. You are all sinners and you need to be forgiven for your sin. Give your life to Jesus or you are going to be in eternity without him. And you'd be like, oh my goodness, this is so uncomfortable. Even though on paper, you'd be like, okay, I know what he's talking about. I agree with what he's saying from scripture. This isn't my method of communication that I would suggest. But you have to, it's this weird in-between of like, you are saying a lot of harsh, loud, boisterous things. Yes, technically I agree with them, but can we not do that right now? Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you the topic of today's message, John the Baptist. Because that is exactly what he was. He was loud, he was boisterous, and uh, he uh, was dirty. He lived in camel pelt that I don't imagine he bought from a tailor or a shopping mall. I imagine he probably got it off a dead camel, maybe with some help. He lived off of locusts and honey, which we like to kind of compartmentalize as a Uh, kind of this like children's ministry thing, like, oh, that's so silly, that's so funny. But like, think about that. This guy lived off of bugs and whatever he could find. Uh, That couldn't have been good. There's not a, his only chance of smelling good was the fact that he was baptizing people. So like, at least he was rinsing himself off once in a while. Other than that, I can't believe that his beard was very well managed. Uh, Who knows what his teeth situation looked like. I'm just trying to paint a picture for you. Now, John the Baptist was what we could call the last Old Testament kind of prophet, but also the first New Testament, Jesus freak, soapbox preacher. Uh, He was loud. He was boisterous. He was aggressive with his message. He did not shy away from calling people out personally by calling them names like brood of vipers, which was not a casual little insult that was was thrown away back then. It was intense. Um, And he addressed everyone. His story, the the 22nd summary of his story uh, is... His parents, Zachariah and Elizabeth, were really old. It's a classic biblical trope of this very old couple doesn't have a kid. And then an angel appears to Zachariah and says, your wife Elizabeth is going to have a baby. Zachariah is like, wait, do you, Lord, do you know how age works? Do you, do you know how old I am and how old my wife is? And the angel says, okay, to prove it to you, until the day your, your son is born, in which you will name him John, you are not going to be able to speak until that moment. And that's exactly what happens. While Elizabeth is pregnant, Mary gets told she's going to give birth to God's son. They end up finally meeting together. They knew each other. And the moment that Elizabeth stepped into Mary's presence, before she knew anything, it says that John, in her belly, leapt. There was a lot of arguments and conversations to be pro-life in the church, but the fact that John as a fetus leapt at the presence of Jesus feels like a pretty compelling conversation to have. But so from fetus, from him being a baby in the belly, he was able to recognize the presence of God's son. 
Then he is born, and as he grows and learns what his purpose is, because it was very clear that he was prophesied in Isaiah that there's one in the wilderness calling out, prepare a way for the Lord. And as John kind of starts to step into his ministry, he becomes this monk, this nomad that goes and lives out in the wilderness and preaches this word, something is coming. The promises that God has given, given to us, they are on their way, and you need to get ready. So I want to focus on that message today. He addressed a lot of people specifically. Uh, The passage that was read this morning is from Matthew 3, but if you look at Luke 3, there's another example. And then in Mark 6, it talks a little bit about further in his story when after Jesus had come, he ends up getting arrested for calling out Herod for marrying his brother's his brother's wife, who happened to be named Herodias, which is weird. Um, And then she uh, made some weird things happen by having her daughter dance for Herod. And when Herod was so impressed, he said, you can have whatever you want. And she said, I want John the Baptist's head. And so he ended up being killed for that way. So super depressing end of the story. But his whole life was lived on this one mission. And he had this one message that he was preaching. And I want to look at that today. He did address individual people. Tax collectors were addressed. They said, what do we need to do. He said, quit taking money off the top when you collect. Whatever people owe, tell them that, take it, give it to the state, don't keep any for yourself that you aren't supposed to. Soldiers asked, hey, what are we supposed to do? And it's interesting, John says, hey, be happy with your wages and stop cheating people out of the money. That's an interesting conversation to have. There were Pharisees that showed up, and they didn't even ask, what should we do? John pointed at them and said, you brood of vipers, who told you that someone is coming? So he was a very intense, loud, aggressive, boisterous guy, but he was preparing everyone that he came in contact with for something that God was putting in motion. So a couple things I want to look at from his message. First and foremost, repent. When you look at Matthew 3, the first thing he says in uh, verse 2, repent because the kingdom of God is near. Now, that's where we can tie him most directly to like a soapbox preacher. That's like a very aggressive thing that's said often. You need to repent. And it's not a very welcoming word if you haven't grown up in the church. We are comfortable with repent because we do it. If you're a believer, we do it on a daily basis. Hoping we, we ask for forgiveness. We bring our confessions before God and, and allow him to work on us. But as John stands on the edge of a river screaming at people to repent, that sounded aggressive. It's kind of like if you went around today and you just started shouting at people, you need to change. You aren't good the way that you are. In 2023, that wouldn't be welcomed very well, would it? Uh, so, repentance and specifically what he preached was this idea of confessing your sins Asking for forgiveness, allowing God to forgive you, and then he would say, we're going to baptize you for the forgiveness of your sin. So he took this Old Testament, this Jewish tradition of of this ritualistic cleansing to be able to go to the temple, to cleanse yourself of your sin and all impurities, to stand before God. He took this and kind of showed the first example of what this would look like for you and I today in Christendom, where we uh, metaphorically wash ourselves of sin, where he said, I'm baptizing you with water, but there's one coming that is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. He is, uh, so he took this... uh, version of ritualistic cleansing and said, listen, something is in motion. God has promised one is coming, and I've been sent here to tell you it's soon. He's really coming. So repent, confess your sins, be baptized, and be forgiven so you can catch on. John wasn't just ritually cleansing sin. He didn't want people to repent and be baptized just because they were sinful. 
He knew God was breaking into the world in a new way, and he wanted people to join in. Now, if you haven't been here for a while, um, or if you are just new, or if you just haven't caught on, that's okay too, no judgment. This year, we've been going through something called the Jesus Storybook Bible, which is a children's Bible that is specifically geared towards telling the story of the whole Bible in chronological order focusing on the idea of Jesus. And we are going through chronologically, so we just finished, if you haven't been here, going through the Christmas story in June, which has been so much fun in Trinity Kids because watching their brains melt trying to talk about Christmas in the middle of summer has been uh, such a great joy. Um, And uh, we just finished that, but the whole Old Testament leading up from now, from July until June, or July till June, January until June, we have been telling all of these classic Old Testament stories, Moses, Joshua, David, and Goliath, and every single chapter in the Jesus Storybook Bible, which I love so much, ends with some kind of statement, God is coming for his people. God is not done. He's sending someone. Get ready. From the, from the fall of man, every chapter in the Jesus Storybook Bible ends with some kind of statement like that, and that's what I love so much. John recognized that as well, and he knew the time was coming soon. The promise was coming, and they were going to get in their own way. He was interacting with all these people, most of which were Jewish people who believed in God, who lived their life in the Jewish tradition of submitting to God, and he knew that they were about to miss out on the most important moment in human history because they were going to get into their own way. He directly labeled it as sin, but sin, we like to kind of narrow down as sin is like, if I asked the kids in Trinity Kids, they would say, it's lying, it's being bad, it's disobeying your parents. If I asked you, you would say uh, adultery, you would still say lying, you would say drunkenness, you would be able to tie these things. But ultimately what sin is, is anything that enters our life that stands between us and God, that separates us from God. And that can be a whole lot of different things. We often get in our own way, and and roadblocks between us and God aren't always inherently bad things. We can all agree if we struggle with drunkenness, that is a barrier that needs to be removed because it's a sinful thing that God has asked something from us that he wants us to do our very best to be healed from and get help for in the midst of that. But sometimes good things can get in the way too. I think of the rich young ruler that came to Jesus one time and said, what do I need to do to be saved? And Jesus didn't say, just say, repent and be baptized. He didn't just leave it at that. When the rich young ruler said, what else? He said, take all of your possessions, everything you got, sell it, give it to the poor, and live for me. And that guy left sad and defeated, and we never heard the end of his story. He missed Jesus Christ was in the flesh in front of him, and he missed out because he got in his own way. And that's what John was trying to prevent for these people. Roadblocks can be a whole lot of different things, good and bad. Can I show you guys a picture of my roadblocks in my relationship with Jesus? Right here. Uh, (laughs) That sounds harsh. Bear with me. This is my beautiful family. This is my wife, Kinsey, who's sitting up here in the front. Uh, By the way, she runs a foster care office here in Indianapolis. So if you're ever interested in foster care, which is one of the most overlooked uh, ministries in the church and one of the most important, talk to her, please. We always need more foster parents. And then on the right there with her is my daughter, Cornelia, or Corey for short. She's named after a hero of mine, Corey Tenboom. Um, She is three years old. And then on the left is my son, Zeeland, who is not named after the country, but he's named after our desire for him to have a zeal for the Lord. Now, my family, they are not a burden. They are the greatest gift God has given me on this earth. And I want to make that very clear. But I am in the thick of it. 
For those of you parents, uh, for those parents in this room, you know what I'm talking about. My daughter is three. My son is one. My life is exhausting right now. I'm not saying that for you to feel bad. I know everybody goes through this. Everybody has exhausting things in, my, in your life. But in all of my life, I'm 30 years old, it has never been harder for me to have a consistent, healthy relationship with Jesus. It's not their fault, but it kind of is. Hear me out. I wake up 6 a.m., which I know some people get up earlier, but that feels early for me. Bear with me. 6 a.m., I wake up to try to fit in a workout. I get done with my workout, and I sit down, and I go. My kids are supposed to wake up at 7.30, and if I sleep in, they do great. They do great at sleep. I have 12-hour sleepers at night. I am so ridiculously blessed. But after I get done working out, I sit down in my chair most mornings. I open up my Bible, and as soon as I open up my Bible, what happens, parents? They wake up. It's like the enemy has set an alarm clock in their head to not let me have time with the Lord. And so, bam, they're awake. And from the moment they wake up, I don't have this hallmark, beautiful moment where they come sit with me with my Bible open and I get to show them what it looks like to live a devoted life for Jesus. It's, who are you that you do not have my oatmeal ready at this exact moment? I want a banana. How dare you be reading that random book right now while I'm hungry? That's their attitude from the moment that they wake up. And then we are rushing to get them ready, rushing to get them clothed and not letting my son dive bomb off the top of the kitchen table. We are rushing. My wife, maybe, my wife and I maybe say three words to each other. We're throwing them in the car seat. And then we're driving here to Trinity Childcare, where I drop off both my kids, where most mornings, both of them scream and cry as I drop them off. And it is a disaster. And so I walk out of Trinity Childcare. Uh, some of you uh, may have seen me in this state where I am just defeated at 9 a.m., because I didn't get to spend time with the Lord. My children just screamed at me like I was the worst parent of all time for leaving them. And now I get to go to work. And I am toasted. I usually have to do like 15, 20 minutes of debrief time just to myself when I get to my office because I'm exhausted. Try to work a full day, and then bam. I go pick them up, get them home, and they're just happy to be home, relaxed and carefree. No! They're angry because they haven't been fed dinner the moment they walk in the door. They're angry because they want to go out and play on the swing set, but if they're on the swing set, I have to watch their every move because my son desperately wants to dive off the top of the swing set, no matter what I do, no matter what I teach him, and no matter how many times he falls. So I have to keep my children fed and alive from five to eight, and right now my daughter is refusing bedtime for some reason, and when my wife does it, she fights her even harder, so right now it's just easier for me to handle my daughter's bedtime every night, but she's not easier on me than my wife. She just, for whatever reason, caves a little bit earlier. So every single day, I end my day by fighting with my three-year-old daughter that I love so much. So then you feel like a terrible parent. You, it's like 8.40, 9 o'clock. You sit down on the couch, and then me and my wife have this revelation of like, oh yeah, we're married. We're supposed to like invest in each other now. <laughs> oh, it's a lot. And so, I'm showing you these guys, not as my kids are a burden and they're in between me and Jesus, but sometimes I allow these excuses to step in my life and be a roadblock. God is moving in my life. And sometimes repentance is not, I'm sinning, or like, I'm, I'm struggling with alcoholism, or I'm cheating on my wife, Lord, forgive me for that thing. Sometimes repentance equals realignment. Sometimes we just need to focus ourselves, be able to step back and say, look at my life where I am now. God is trying to move in Trinity Church. 
God is trying to move in both, on all three of these campuses between here, East Fishers, and what we do down at Garfield Park. And we can miss it, not just because of bad things, but good things that we are allowing to distract us from God. I'm not any less of a father. Whenever I make God first, I'm a better father. Roadblocks can be anything. And God wants us to step back and realize sometimes repentance is saying, God, move in my life. Help me with my children. Help me with my energy. Take the few moments I have this morning to give to you, God, and bring forth your glory into the world. That's what repentance is. Then John also talks about, also, this has not, I'm, I have another picture. Show the other picture because I have to show you the other picture. These are my kids as a duck and a chicken. It doesn't apply to the message. I just wanted you to see it. Thank you. All right. So the other thing that that John talks about is presumption. And I don't think we talk about it a lot in John's message, but in John chapter 3, verse uh, uh, 8, 9, he says, And don't presume to say to yourself, We have Abraham as as our father. For I tell you, God is able to raise up children for Abraham from these stones. So presumption. A word that is very interesting. The Jewish people in this story were presuming they were good with God because they're Jews. Jewish, Jew, Judaism is, is really a traditionalistic uh, religion where you are brought into it. You, you inherit it, essentially. Um, I mean, how many celebrities in Hollywood right now claim to be Jews and they don't practice at all, but they're Jews because their grandparents and their great-grandparents were Jews. Um, and, and a lot of people in this story were doing the same thing. I'm good. I'm a child of Abraham. My descendants come uh, from him when he was promised that his, his children would be as numerous as the stars. And John said, don't presume you're good because you're his descendants. God could make descendants of Abraham out of these rocks right here. Now, for us, presumption can be a trap as well. Presumption in our relationship with God, presumption in our future and our, our, our salvation. And so what I want to show you are two different definitions. One is presumption and one is security. Presumption and security. Presumption is the not great one. Security is the one that we are aiming for. These two definitions um, are, are uh, brought together by a theologian that I deeply admire and respect um, named Tyler Hill. And uh, presumption definition, <laughs> I'm just kidding, I'm not that arrogant. Um, presumption is this, avoiding truth by clinging to comfortable technicalities. Avoiding truth by clinging to comfortable technicalities. What does that mean? Sometimes we presume our salvation because of some things that make us feel safe in that. So that can look a lot of different ways. It can be your family. For me, that was the case. I come from a family that loves Jesus uh, from the top to the bottom. Um, My grandma and grandpa on my dad's side, they are the patriarchs of my dad's side of the family. Um, They are the reason I'm a believer today. Um, I'm so incredibly thankful they both have passed. They're in heaven. Um, It's really hard for me to not get through a sermon and not tell a story about my grandma Hill. If you ever hear me speak again, you'll probably hear me mention her. I'm not going to tell you a story, but can I give you a, a little flash, a little hint? Once when my grandma Hill was in her 20s, she was in a prayer group with other ladies in the church. A strip club was being built near my hometown. They went and laid hands on that strip club to pray over the people there. It burnt to the ground the next day. I'm just going to leave that there. Let you guys ruminate on that for a little bit. 
My, so there were a lot of times in my life, because I came from the Hill family that was very predominant in my church, I felt, I'm good. I'm not going to struggle with X, Y, and Z because I know where I came from. Guess what? That means I was more prone to struggle with X, Y, and Z. Uh, some people, that comfortable technicality that people lean into are very specific, maybe out of context Bible verses. For instance, John 3.16, the most popular verse in history, arguably, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. You can get that tattooed on your arm and live the rest of your life however you want, as long as you believe in God, right? That's a beautiful verse that is true. It matters. But ultimately, it's a little bit simplistic and not looking at a bigger picture, right? So you look at John 3.16, and, and you see that, and you ignore it in the rest of the Bible where it talks about, Paul talks about, hey, great, you believe that there is one God. That's amazing. So do demons, Congratulations. <laughs> That's a pretty harsh statement. Or maybe some people, uh, they, uh, comfortable technicality is they felt the Spirit calling them into ministry. Something we don't talk enough about in the church is how often across the world and mainly across America, pastors are falling left and right. Pastors are, are having affairs or secretly, secretly struggling with alcoholism, all of these different things. And we can point to a lot of different things, but ultimately I think it's sometimes because we as, as people in ministry or whatever roles that God has called you into, we think because I'm called here, I don't have to worry about anything, so I'm good. God has called me to ministry. Why would I struggle with the temptation of an affair? Why would I struggle with alcohol? God has called me into ministry and they find themselves in a rough position. So, Presumption is avoiding truth by clinging to comfortable technicalities. Security, on the other hand, is this. Resting in the truth of who God is, who he says I am, and what he asks of me. So two people could be standing up here and saying, when I die, if I died right now, I'm going to heaven. But if one person is basing it off technicalities of it hasn't flowed out of their life, but the other person is saying, wait, who is God? study the scriptures, I try to learn. Here's the thing about God. There is one true God. He's not based on theology. Theology is us trying to figure him out. He's not based on theology. He has a definitive character and personality. Your relationship with God isn't based on your idea of him. It's based on who he actually is. So we try to look at scriptures and what we find is God is all-powerful. His glory is infinite. He is bigger than we could ever comprehend, and he deserves our pureness, our, our, he deserves our everything, every moment of our everyday life, that is who he is. Then we take that and we say, okay, Siri's trying to talk to me. Then we try to look at us, ourselves, and we say, okay, who does God say I am? Now in perspective of his glory and his power, who does God say I am? And we step back. One of my favorite quotes of all time is worth, value, and beauty is not determined by some innate quality, but by the length for which the owner would go to possess them. Worth, value, and beauty is not determined by some innate quality, but by the length for which the owner would go to possess them. Our worth, value, and beauty is not in spite of who he is, it's because of who he is. The God of the universe deemed you, your worth, your value, as the blood of Jesus stamped on your forehead, and nothing can take that away. And so sometimes we think we're good in our relationship with God because of our presumptions. I'm good because I attend church every week. I'm good because I open up my Bible. I'm good because I read this verse and I believe. But God is calling more from you. 
And when you look at who God is, and then you look at who he says you are, you think, okay, what do you want from me, Lord? Go and make disciples. Give your life to me. Raise your kids up in the way that you go. Every dollar that you get is for me. Every moment that you have is because of me. Share that love with other people. And we get so distracted by so many different things that we miss the last part of John's message. The kingdom is coming. God is moving. And we don't know how much time we have. I know that's such a classic Christian cliche trope. It's true. We don't know how long we have on this earth. We can die today. That sounds morbid and it sounds sad, but is it? No. Not when you have the security of who God says you are, who he is, and what he's asking of you. I get to know that if I died right now, I'm spending eternity with him, and that is not arrogance, and that is not presumption. That is because of him and who he says I am and what he's asked of me and the forgiveness and the grace that he has offered me that I do not deserve. A lot of times in church, we have to preach about so many different topics. We have to focus on so many different things where we talk about money, we talk about relationships, and all of this is good, but just like the Jesus Storybook Bible, it all comes back to one thing. God sent his one and only son for you and me. He died and paid the price for your sin if you accept that and step forward in faith and walk your life living according to his, his will to the best of your ability. is what this is all about. And John's message was loud and aggressive and it was boisterous and it was probably uncomfortable and awkward. But here's the thing, it was true. And one of the things I love, if you, if you read through Matthew chapter three again, um, or actually I think it's Luke three that actually says this. Yes, uh, Luke three, where it says all the same thing, where John is just hammering people. You sinners, you brood of vipers, tax collectors, just stop stealing money. He is calling people left and out left and right. And the end of his whole sermon in, John, in Luke chapter 3, it says, Then, along with many other exhortations, he proclaimed good news to people. Sometimes people are turned off the church because it feels intense and it feels like it's calling you out and feels like a punch in the face over and over one. But let me tell you something. Shame is not welcome in this room. We are sinners. We are screw-ups. You have failed this morning. You will fail by the time you get to lunch. But the blood of Jesus is available to wash you clean. And your story doesn't end there. If his kingdom is coming, what does that mean for you today? Quit living like you've guaranteed the 90. Quit living like you're just in a season where, okay, Lord, I'll catch up with you when my kids are seven and nine. That's a lie. I've told myself a lot. Today, picture John walking up to you, smelly, stinky, nasty, maybe a big old bulge on his side, grabbing you by the ears and saying, God is breaking into the world. He's breaking into your life. He's breaking into Trinity. And you are allowing roadblocks to get in the way between you and him and what he's doing. Don't miss it. Some of you are missing it. I miss it every day. And I have to keep reeling myself back in. It looks different for all of us. Maybe you're new to church. Maybe you're new to church in a way of like you grew up in the church, but you stepped away and you're back and you're not sure what you feel. Or maybe you're brand new. You're welcome here. 
gracefully to enter into the forgiveness of God and a purpose that is beyond measure. Maybe you've been a believer your whole life, but you aren't living into what God is calling from you. You aren't living in this church the way you're attending. Some of us can lean into the temptation, I'm just really busy right now, so right now my role is to just be a butt in a seat in church. I'm sorry I said butt from stage, that wasn't intentional. God might be calling you to Trinity Kids. Please, Lord, call somebody in here to Trinity Kids. God might be calling you down to Garfield Park. Every Thursday night they are working with, uh, with, with homeless people that desperately need to hear the love of God or people that are just hard off or in a bad community or whatever the case may be. And you know they struggle for volunteers every week. I can say that because I'm not a part of that ministry, so, so this isn't like one of the other pastors trying to make you feel bad about the ministry they're in charge of. I'm separated from it, and they struggle for volunteers every week. That's the work of the Lord, the hands and feet of Jesus, and what an honor it is that we have an opportunity to be a part of it. Don't miss out on what God is calling you. So I leave you with this question. How are you living your life as if Jesus' kingdom is actually coming? What do you need to realign in your life to reflect that? Not tomorrow. Today I'm not talking to you about your tithing. I'm not talking to you about about, uh, your marriages and how you need to speak to each other more kindly. I'm not talking about trusting God in your singleness. Today I'm talking about the fact that God's kingdom is coming. Today he is trying to work in your life. This morning in church, he's moving and he's ready to say something to you and do something through you. And we allow, I allow so many different roadblocks. I let my, my blessings of children as cute as can be dressed up as ducks and chickens, be a barrier between me and God when actually it's the greatest honor that I get to raise them up and point them and show them their worth, value, and beauty in the eyes of their creator. So take out your next steps card. We're going to be doing communion in a moment. But if you would, take a moment, reach out, grab your next step card. Even if you're going to pretend to write something, do it. And I want you to ask yourself that question. How are you living your life as if Jesus' kingdom is actually coming? What do, you need to, what do you need to realign in your life to reflect his kingdom is coming today? I want to end with this. I'm not trying to shake you down. I'm not trying to be John the Baptist where I'm scaring you into submission or scaring you into salvation. I want you to hear these promises from God. John 3.16, even though it can be taken a little bit out of context, it is still true, tells you that God loves you. Psalm 139, you are created inside the womb with purpose, with intention. He's proud of you. Psalm 23, 6 says that goodness and mercy will follow you. God is chasing after you and he's faster than you. You can't outrun him. And a couple of months ago when we talked about Jonah, as one of my Trinity kids said, wow, God is the hide-and-seek champion of the world. You can't hide from God. Thank goodness that's true. And no matter where you are, John 16, 33, you're going to have trouble. But take heart, I've already overcome the world. Jesus has already won. He wins. What are you worried about? Jesus promises us in Revelation chapter 22, the Bible is ended by him saying, listen, I'm coming again soon, amen. And finally, Romans 8, 18 lets us know 
that nothing is going to be worth comparing to the sufferings we're going through right now. Not, hey, it's going to be better. It's not even worth comparing. It's all going to be worth it. And it's all going to be made better. Will you pray with me? Jesus, your kingdom is coming. Jesus, we're caught in the rotations and the motions of our day-to-day life. There's so many distractions and frustrations. God, it can be good things like our kids and good things like jobs or callings that you've given us. But God, remove our roadblocks. Help us focus in on you and what you've called of us. Today, we give you our lives. We give you our Sundays. We give you our kids. We give you our jobs. We give you our sins. We give you our frustrations. We give you our worries. And we're ready to watch how you're going to break into the world through us. Thank you for loving us. We love you and we trust you. Amen. Thanks for listening to Sunday Sermon on the Made for More podcast. If you are not connected in a church community, we would love to connect with you. Send us a message on social media or fill out a digital next steps card at encountertrinity.com slash next steps.